If you're like me and you're not so great at planning ahead when it comes to travel, you have to try Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight is an app that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute and up to seven days in advance. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or for indulging in a little staycation. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So what are you waiting for? Get in on these killer last minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. This episode is also brought to you by SeatGeek, the smartest and easiest way to get tickets to every MLB game. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing the best plays of the year in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Best of all, Ringer MLB Show listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code, and enter the promo code RINGERMLB. That's all one word. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase, so download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERMLB today. MLB show. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a staff writer for The Ringer. I'm joined by my fellow writer for The Ringer, Michael Bauman. Hello, Michael. Hello, Connor Pilkington. Four no-hit innings against Chinese Taipei last week. Oh, you did it again. That wasn't even... You thought I was joking. That wasn't even timely. You're <laughs> reaching back into the past to bring up college baseball. So we are doing a show today because you can't have the 4th of July without a baseball podcast. So we are here. We're just going to do a whole show-long segment with our guest and we're about to bring in we're going to talk about the trade deadline and set up the next month or so of rumors and trade speculation so we are joined now or rejoined by a former guest of this podcast jeff passan of yahoo sports hey jeff hello gentlemen how are you we're doing well. So we had you on the show about a year ago. One of my favorite episodes of this podcast, I think. It was a fun conversation about how covering the trade deadline is soul-crushing and parasitic and terrible. And here we are a year later, and you're about ready to cover the trade deadline again. <laughs> Boy, I really appreciate you brightening my day, Ben. Thank you so much for that. It's okay. He just said one of his favorite episodes of the podcast was one I wasn't on. So... <laughs> We're going to talk about that off the air. <laughs> Correlation, not causation. Yeah. So I, I assume that covering the trade deadline hasn't gotten any easier or more rewarding or joyous in the last 12 months. You know, maybe it's gotten a little easier just because I, I steal myself for it a little bit. And, and I'll mm -hmm. be honest, last trade deadline was actually really fun. Mm. I, was, I was literally on my way uh, to Rio. For the Olympics. And, and I was up in New Hampshire visiting my mother-in-law. And on the day of the trade deadline, I was on the Vermonter train going from New Hampshire down to uh, Penn Station in New York to take a flight to Brazil. And like, I am the biggest fan of, of Amtrak in America. I, I love train <laughs> rides that have Wi-Fi and you can recline your seat without feeling guilty. And there's a plug mm -hmm. for you. And, and the whole experience was actually kind of enjoyable because I got a few of the stories, too. And I was I was I was a little bit afraid that I was going to run into some dead zones or some patches where I, I missed text messages. But no, all in all, it was a. It was a pretty fun deadline to do this on a train where like, you know, you're on Twitter and uh, you're breaking news and it's completely anonymous and nobody around you has any idea what you're doing. <laughs> I just hope you weren't the guy in the quiet car who's on the phone the whole time. I, I respect Amtrak too much to be that guy. <laughs> Trust me. I, I have I have great respect for our train system. I sound like somebody from like the 1920s, don't I? Like, I no, love I... locomotion. Locomotion is the greatest thing that's come to America. <laughs> it's changing the world. I totally agree about trains. I like a, a nice overnight train trip. I don't know if Amtrak really does it for me, but I've I've gone on overnight trips in Australia and Canada, and those are always fun and sort of romantic, even if you're with your mom, which I was on all of them. 
<laughs> Boy, I think we need to get to the trade deadline right yeah. now. <laughs> so it's four weeks away, and that's obviously a, a long time in trade deadline terms since so much of this stuff shapes up at the last minute, and GMs are serial procrastinators, and some of this stuff just takes a long time to come to fruition. But you have started hearing rumblings, it seems like. You've written a couple trade deadline-related columns recently. Do you have a sense for how this deadline is shaping up in terms of will it be an active one? Will it be a slow one? Is it even possible to tell at this distance from the day? I think in in another year, it might be possible. But I think this year it is so up in the air at this point because there are so few, especially in the American League, there are so few obvious sellers. We know that the White Sox are selling. We know that the A's are selling. We know that the Tigers are are selling some pieces, but we, you know, we don't know if Justin Verlander is going to go, for example. Uh, but a guy like J.D. Martinez, probably gone. A guy like Justin Wilson, very may well be gone. But beyond that, I don't think a team like Seattle is selling. Uh, I don't think a team like Toronto that's still hanging on the periphery of the wild card and, and hasn't had Aaron Sanchez all year and believes that they can be better than they are. Don't think the Blue Jays are going to sell. I, I don't think the Orioles uh, around 500 where they are right now can sell. And that's why the next two to three weeks really is going to be vital to knowing how this trade season plays out. I think a lot of the contenders want to to start making moves early, but they also know right now it is such a seller's market that they don't want to overpay at this point if other teams end up jumping into it. You've got your teams in the National League. I mean, the entire East stinks and Mm -hmm. the bottom three there certainly are going to sell. And frankly, the Braves should, you know, Cincinnati to me is is an interesting team that has uh, a lot of guys, whether it's Zach Cozart or beyond who can really hit. And I think that with the, the paucity of bats out there, there may be something there. And San Francisco to me, it might be the most fascinating team at the trade deadline as far as the sellers go this year, because I, if I'm the Giants, I just don't know what to do. I almost feel like I'm I'm stuck in this terrible ditch, and no matter how much I push the accelerator or try to rock the car back and forth, uh, I'm just getting nowhere. So what are those AL teams, because there are like 12 teams in the American League that are either in a playoff spot or within like a hot weekend of being right there. Mm-hmm. So do those teams on the periphery have like a sell plan and a buy plan, or is it a grading, you know, graduation that they're just, you know, going to wait until the last week in July and sort of choose which plan or what variation of, of several plans that they're going to, you know, they're going to do? It's a great question. I think it's what makes it so confusing for teams. Generally speaking, by the 4th of July, you have a sense of what your team is and who you are and where you are uh, in, in the grand scheme of, of a league year. I don't think any teams in the American League right now, uh, absent the Houston Astros, really know where they are at this point because nobody nobody has separated themselves right now and the Astros are obvious buyers at this point because they feel like the the league as a whole is down enough this year that the if you're going to to make a strong one-year push this might be the year to do it but like you said I mean the Blue Jays if the Blue Jays have a really good week they could theoretically be in first. They could literally go from last to first within a week in the American League East right now. The the Royals, who I thought were dead in the water a month ago, I mean, they, mm-hmm. they looked like a bottom five team in baseball, are now sitting at 500, and Danny Duffy is on his way back. And so the idea that this very flawed team, and I mean the Royals are a very flawed team, are, are in a playoff position at this point is staggering to me. I think though to I think we need to get really granular with teams to understand what their plans are though. And I don't want to go through all dozen teams, but I'm going to I'm going to use the Royals as an example. Uh the Royals right now have a really mediocre farm system. And I think that plays into what they're going to do at the deadline this year. Whereas in years past they may want to buy a little. I'm not sure that when you combine their lack of prospect capital 
and look at the likelihood that they make the playoffs when surrounded by eight other teams that are vying for that same one spot. I just don't know how you can convince yourself to go spend what little capital you may have chasing a spot that in all likelihood, in all probability, if we're being honest with ourselves, is going to be a really difficult thing to achieve. The Yankees, on the other hand, when you saw them bring up Dustin Fowler over the weekend, the Yankees are about as deep as it gets in terms of prospects. And when you have uh, a league as open as, as the American League is this year, they can and they should go out and spend on a guy. The question for them is, is there somebody out there who they can have uh, control over for the next two or three years as they build this team up toward the 2018 free agent class? Or do they feel that they're in a good enough position this year where they can go for a red or where they can go for a guy like Johnny Cueto, who they could absorb that $21 million a year for the next four years if he opts in, but uh, they can take the performance and be okay with it if he decides to opt out. Mm -hmm. Do you think the team's thinking has evolved at all as far as what they're willing to do to pursue a wildcard slot? in the years since the play-in game became a thing? Like, do you think that teams have gotten more or less willing to pursue that? Do they have a better grasp of what it's worth to appear in one game when you know that there's roughly a 50% chance that you will not yeah. actually play on beyond that? <laughs> I, I think the, the wild card play-in game has been the worst thing for delusional baseball men because <laughs> it's it, no, because it's almost like, I, I'm sorry, I guess technically, yes, you are a playoff team if you win a wild card now, but I, I don't personally feel like one game constitutes being in the playoffs. I feel like mm -hmm. playoffs are series and that this is almost a play in game to the playoffs. But the fact that a GM can say, I had a postseason team and can carry that on his resume and take that to his owner uh, and say, I got this team to the playoffs this year. I, I think that in the world of baseball, where, where logic does not always apply, that that is something tangible and something meaningful to them to the point that they will sacrifice some of the future in order to get that. And, and part of it is understandable guys, because you know what, if you have a hot team, you can ride that wild card all the way to a championship. And, and we know that we know all it takes is the right formula. And well, we saw that with the Indians last year, the Indians were not the most talented team in the American league, but Terry Francona and Chris Antonetti had done uh, an incredible job of preparing the team for what it needed to do in the postseason, for telling them what their roles were going to be for shaking off arm injuries and freak injuries with Carlos Carrasco and freaking drones and, <laughs> and all of the other stuff that got in the way and they found their secret sauce. And if another team believes that it has the right things to win not just that one game, but go and then win a five-game series and a seven-game series. I, I understand the best team does not always win the championship in baseball. And it, it's not like the NBA where we know it's going to be Cavs and Warriors. I, I'd like to tell you that it's going to be Astros and Dodgers, Astros and Nats. I, but I, I'm not willing to put a whole lot of money on that at this point because baseball is just a significantly different sport. Mm -hmm. So swinging all the way back to the other end of the spectrum with the Astros, this has been something that the the idea of them going out to get another pitcher is mm -hmm. all consuming down here as insofar as a sports story that's not about football can be all consuming. So on the, <laughs> the one hand, like they don't need another starting pitcher. But on the other hand, like they've got the farm system, they've got the assets to go get a guy like Quintana or Garrett Cole or Chris Archer, whoever the flavor of the week is. So this is interesting to me on a couple of levels. The first one is the Astros, the Astros front office has been willing to 
to go make that trade. But at the same time, like it's easy to get attached to these prospects when they turn into McCullers and Springer and Carlos Correa mm-hmm. and Alex Bregman. And the other mm-hmm. thing is whether, I mean, the last team that we saw go all in from this far off the front was the Oakland A's in 2014, and they just completely collapsed. So, you know, what do you think the Astros should do? Who should they be willing to give up for what? And is there anything to be learned from what happened to Oakland a couple years ago? Well, do you think, do you, do you, do you not consider the Cubs giving up Gliber Torres and three other guys for a role this Chapman going all in? I mean, I, I mean, guess th- I, I, I see, I totally see what you say with getting, getting Samarja and Hamill and, and trading Cespedes for Lester. Like mm-hmm. they really pushed their chips there, but I feel like the Cubs did about as much as they could last year. Cause they really didn't have as many of those holes to fill. Yeah. I, I mean, it's more extreme. Cause I mean, you see the, the team go, you know, go trade a lot for maybe not that much for a closer in this, in this day and age uh, as much as they used to, but like, that's something that that we've seen before as opposed to just the sheer volume of trades that they made and how early they made them and how and I guess part of it was it just seems sort of out of character for Oakland because we still think yeah. of them as like plucky <laughs> underdogs instead of this, you know, the Cubs are were well on their way to becoming the evil empire back then. Yeah. No, I, I think I think that's a fair point. I, I look at the Astros like this and and I'm gonna throw out a, a, a guy that nobody knows about, but I think this is a very telling anecdote. The Astros plucked Josh Fields in the Rule 5 draft. I think it was probably like four years ago at this point. And he was a very hit or miss relief pitcher for them. And he got hurt and he would get wild, but he would strike out a ton of guys. Dodgers wanted Josh Fields. And the Astros traded him for a kid really nobody had heard of named Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez is a six foot five, two hundred and thirty pound Cuban kid. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't a Moncada, he wasn't a Luis uh Robert, he wasn't uh even like an Arue Barena. You know, he wasn't one of those high profile Cuban guys. Jordan Alvarez might be the best Cuban prospect not named Moncada in the minor leagues right now. And considering the, the White Sox just paid like $50 million for Robera, that's saying something. The Astros have him and they have Kyle Tucker and they have Forrest Whitley who's striking out like 14 guys per nine. And they have Paulino and Martez, both of whom uh, have pitched in the big leagues this year. And Derek Fisher now playing left field and Franklin Perez, uh, a command and control guy who throws up to 94 with beautiful, beautiful delivery. My, my point is they have so many guys, there is no reason for them not to go out and get someone at this point. Even if they don't need it, even if they don't need it, uh, the Astros have the incentive to go out and get it. And I think an important point to make here and not to undersell is what A.J. Hinch is doing in that organization right now. A.J. Hinch is a guy who's been in front offices, in decision-making positions before. And, and he's one of the rare guys who understands both on the field and in the front office what the calculus really is. A.J. Hinch wants a starter, and he wants a frontline guy, and I, I get the sense that Sonny Gray is their target. And the, the big question is, what's the competition going to be like there? What's the price going to be? And are the Astros a team that last time it paid a, a heavy price in prospects for players ended up getting Carlos Gomez and Mike Fires? and ended up giving up Brett Phillips, Domingo Santana, Josh Hader, and and another kid who hasn't quite been the same, but three really, I mean, Santana's been fantastic this year. Hader's going to be really good, and Phillips is still a, a major league quality center fielder. When you had a trade like that happen, or when you had the Ken Giles deal go down, I mean, the, the show, trade too. Yeah, I mean, they have shown themselves willing to to trade prospects and it hasn't really worked out for them they've had a lot more luck just developing guys and bringing them up than they have dealing them but at some point you got to figure that you're that you're going to click with one of those and and you just hope it's now because if they can trot out a rotation of keichel 
McCullers and Gray. And I, you know, pick and choose your your fourth guy there. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be Peacock. I don't know if it's going to be Charlie Morton coming back. Uh, Martez, Paulino, Joe Musgrove, you know, possibly fires. I mean, they they have a bunch of choices there. Uh, but if you can try out that rotation in the postseason it just emboldens you as a favorite in the American League. And I think an important point here to make, too, one of the reasons I think the Astros want to go out and get another starter is because they will not be starting Dallas Keuchel on three days rest in the playoffs, and they will not be starting Lance McCullers on three days rest in the playoffs. Those are two guys who just do not they, – they do not have – it's not even a matter of faith. They just don't believe that they would be as effective as – another guy from a deeper rotation. So what about the Cubs this year? Because it's a little harder to pinpoint what they need just because their underperformance has come in so many areas. The the lineup <laughs> has not been what was expected. Some of the pitchers have taken steps back. The defense is not the incredible otherworldly defense that it was last season. So literally, it's a little harder literally, to... <laughs> literally everything is significantly worse. Right. But at the same time, these are all still, for the most part, under team control players who are young in many cases and promising in many cases. So it's not like there are a lot of places where you can say, oh, they need a starter the way that the Astros need a starter or they need a bullpen the way the Nationals need a bullpen. They kind of need everything and nothing at the same time. They just need what they already have to be better. But I'm sure that they are thinking of ways that they can do something. I guess maybe they need a backup catcher at this point. Uh, and, and look, Victor Caratini is is a young, under control switch hitting catcher. The, mm-hmm. They're they're going to be fine with him. So yeah. you know what they need? They need pitching. They need starting pitching. But the problem with the Cubs getting starting pitching is that the guys whom they would replace are people who they do not want to replace. You don't mm-hmm. want to go into a clubhouse and get rid of John Lackey, but they should. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to get you don't want to go into a clubhouse and and say Jake Arietta we you know we can't use you. Uh, I almost feel like Arietta is in a Nomar Garcia Parra type position right now, mm-hmm. where the Cubs would be better off just trading him, and it would be an upgrade to their rotation. He he's he is not the guy this year. You can look at the strikeouts. You can can look at the the lower walk rate from last. He is not the guy that he was. He is he is hittable. And it's not just Babbitt. I mean, he is getting hit a lot harder than he was. And look, the the velo drops are across the board with the Cubs mm-hmm. starting pitchers. And it's obvious, I think, at this point that last year had some kind of a tangible effect on them. I'm I'm not gonna come out and say that the you know the hangover is still lasting. Some guys, the you know, velos drop, velos rise. Justin Verlander, I was worried two years ago, was mm-hmm. was on the Felix Hernandez track to 89 miles per hour, and Verlander's throwing as hard as he has in six years right now. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that they're going to be like this forever. Uh, this year, though, I you just you don't gain velo, you don't gain you know the two miles that you lost after the all-star break. And so this is what the Cubs have right now and what they have, at least in the rotation, simply is not good enough. And what about the two central teams that have hung in this thing all year, despite the expectations that they would be nowhere near the top of the race, the Brewers and the Twins? Is either of these teams going to take advantage of the first half that they've had or buy too much into the first half that they've had or make any attempt to bolster their roster for a run? Or are they just going to treat this as kind of a, a free roll and and if they actually manage to stay in this thing, it's a bonus, but it's not something that they're going to invest in heavily. I think that the, the last thing you said there is about right. And, and you know what? The Diamondbacks to me actually fall in this category too. They're better mm-hmm. than they're better mm-hmm. than both the Twins and the Brewers, but all three are helmed by general managers who went into this season believing that they were uh, at the front of a rebuilding project. And they they weren't expecting to go full-on tank. But I think if you had asked them and given them some, some truth serum before the season, they all would have said that they were probably going to be selling at the deadline. 
That being said, these are the teams that I think aren't going to be in the in the Sunny Gray sweepstakes and aren't mm-hmm. going to be in the Jose Quintana sweepstakes. Even though a team like Milwaukee actually Quintana would fit them really, really well, just because he's under control and and they've got a super, super deep farm system. Uh, but I just don't think at this point in their life cycle they want to be paying heavy prices for players when ultimately, truthfully, 2019 is probably the more realistic time for the Brewers really to start contending. Don't get me wrong. They're a good team this year. I think they're going to be around 500 all year. I think there's a lot of talent there. Uh, David Stearns has made some excellent, like the Travis Shaw for Tyler Thornburg trade is maybe the trade of the offseason. It's Mm -hmm. turned out remarkably for them. And it's hilarious to me that Dave Dombrowski is actually going out and looking for a power hitting third baseman (laughs) as we speak. Um, the the twins the twins are being patient too and i think they they understand that they're in a pretty mediocre division and that plays in their favor and that both the white Sox and the and the tigers are probably going to be selling but the the indians and royals are going to be facing them too so there's really not a a humongous advantage there if you're going for the division title to me the diamondbacks are the most fascinating ones because i even if they have a really good year here i could see them nuking things in the off season and trying to take advantage of, of a free agent class that it's certainly better than last year's, but pales in comparison to 2018, 19. Okay. Let's pause here for a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back with more from Jeff. There's nothing like dining al fresco on a cool summer night with a great glass of wine, but finding new wines to try can be so overwhelming, especially when you're at the store and you're faced with aisles of choices. Thankfully, NakedWines.com offers exclusive wines that you can't find anywhere else, making it easy to discover something new and delicious all the time. Not to mention their unique business model connects everyday wine drinkers and winemakers more closely than ever before, granting you access to more than 400 limited production wines, each one a discovery, the passion project of an experienced artisan who makes wines thanks to your support. Better yet, NakedWines.com removes a huge chunk of costs that, in a traditional wine business, would typically be passed on to you. So you save up to 60% on the wines you love. Plus, the winemaker gets to spend more time in the vineyard and less in the office, which means the wines taste better. And with over 2 million customer reviews, you can easily determine which wine is right for you. Get $100 off your first order. Try 12 of NakedWines.com's favorites for only $79. Just visit NakedWines.com MLB to claim this offer. Again, that's NakedWines.com slash MLB. All right, let's get back to the trade talk. So going back to the Brewers real quick, the word investment came up, and that's something that like I don't get on Milwaukee for not spending the way other big, you know, big market teams like the Phillies and the Astros and the the Padres have when they've gone in the tank, but they had the lowest payroll in baseball this year. And Mark Adnasio's been willing to shell out money yes. in the short term for, you know, when they went out and got um you know, they've made those all the moves in the past, going out and trading for Granky and uh, Sabathia and extending Ryan Braun. But even then, mm-hmm. their ceiling sort of they topped out around a hundred million dollar payroll. So, you know, David Stearns being Jeff Luno's for, former assistant in Houston mm-hmm. has experience running things on a shoestring budget. But like, how much do, would payroll considerations come into it? With the Brewers, who might not have, you know, they might not be empowered to to go spend enough money to field a competitive team for more than a year or two. Yeah, I think they were at a hundred million though before a hundred million was cool. And, and what I mean by that is is the Brewers will spend. Like Adnazio has has shown the willingness to do that. But is now really when you want to spend? I don't think the answer is yes. And and I don't think so because. If I'm the Brewers, um, even though the Cubs are what they've been this year, I'm looking at least the next two years as, as being the Central's going to be really difficult to get because of the Cubs. And and maybe yeah, you have the the opportunity to steal it away this year. But I look at you know I look at the Brewers as the perfect team for someone like Jason Vargas. And I know that the the Royals at this point. Uh, almost certainly are not going to deal. And I think that's probably ultimately to their detriment. But I feel like you could get a nice B prospect for Jason Vargas right now. And and the Brewers have a ton of B-level guys who may not project to be superstars, but they're willing to give up because, well, 
why not? If you got a chance to to make the playoffs this year, uh, you use that depth. And uh, their depth is, as far as the outfield goes, uh, and I've written about this, is pretty significant. Uh, Keon Broxton has has proven himself to be uh, so. He's sort of like a newish Adam Jones in terms of the fact that he just does not walk. He strikes out a bunch, but he's got enough power and a good enough glove in center field to to make up for it. Braun in left, obviously. Santana's been fantastic in right. Hernan Perez is uh, about as good of a utility guy as there is in baseball these days. And then in the minors, now you've got Lewis Brinson, you've got Brett Phillips. Uh, you've got Ryan Cordell. So the, the Brewers have a ton of outfielders, and they're going to trade one or two of them at some point and really shore themselves up. And I think the other thing I'd say about the Brewers is I wonder if the Cubs being as bad as they, they've been has made the Brewers rebuild look like it's going faster than it is because they're still about a, a 500 team. And there are a couple teams that are in the AL wildcard race that I'd say the same thing about. So, I, you know, I wonder if this is, you know, you mentioned Vargas, and I think that would be an example of the trade that Neil Huntington used to make with the Pirates before they yes. before they got good. The You know, we're trading really to stay into the stay in the wild card race but we're not going to sacrifice the future to go exactly. chase down a 10% chance now. Yeah, and and I think that's a very reasonable way to go about things. You want to send listen, you don't do things just to appease your fan base. But you do also want to send a message that hey, we recognize we've been good this year and that we want to at least add something. And I, I'm normally not one to advocate for half measures in terms of running a baseball team, but I think at the, at, at the trade deadline, when you're that maybe we're good, maybe we're eh, maybe we drop back, I don't mind a half measure here, not just show the fans, but also the guys in the clubhouse. I think there's something tangible there that when these guys have been overachieving have been working hard that you show them, Hey, we're going to add something because we believe in you guys. And we believe that there's something real enough here to go out and improve upon it. Can the nationals build a bullpen in the next few weeks? Who is available? Of course, they've been linked to David Robertson forever. You recently wrote about Brad hand with the Padres getting a lot of interest Marlins relievers after they kind of officially kicked off the trade deadline with the Echeverria trade. They've got some other guys to deal, David Phelps and AJ Ramos. Is there anyone else you think they would be looking at? Are they going to have to go after multiple guys to give Dusty Baker a, a group that he's comfortable they with? They trade for five different relievers just to the entire <laughs> I, bullpen. You, you, know, you, know what though, you know what, though? The Nationals bullpen... Uh, might be my favorite story in 2007. I agree. Yeah. We talked about this on the yeah. last podcast. <laughs> yeah. Not not just not just because of how bad it is, but I picture Mike Rizzo like walking around the streets of Washington D.C. right now, just muttering to himself about how bad his bullpen is, and picking up like a can off the sidewalk and like a can of soda like an empty can of Coke that has a name written on it. You know how Coke cans like have, or Coke bottles have like names on them and that it says Francisco and that he goes out and signs K-Rod and that, and that he picks up another one and it says Kevin and he goes out and signs Kevin Jepson. That's how he's putting together a bullpen on a team that should be one of the best teams in baseball right now. He is yeah. literally picking up the trash of other teams. It's and worked thinking for the Angels. Going to work that's how it. they built a, a great bullpen this year. I don't know how, but yeah, that's no, the way they did it. I mean, it's not it's not with garbage with the Angels, though. I mean, Blake Parker is not garbage. Cam Bedrosian is not Norris is leading garbage. the team in saves. <laughs> I, listen, I, I, I'm aware of the Bud Norris factor. <laughs> By the way, Bud Norris turning into an awesome reliever just shows the absurdity in paying $20 million a year for a relief pitcher. Yes. It just does. It is, it is. And, and don't get me wrong. Like I love what Kenley Jansen does and, and what Aroldis Chapman does, but it makes you wonder why more teams can't figure out what it is about these guys that turns them into good. Relief. I, I thought the Royals had figured out the formula when they developed, you know, Holland and turned Davis into a reliever and Hochaver and Herrera, like that bullpen in 2014 was obscenely good. And 
now you, you look at their bullpen and it's just like they're signing Neftali Feliz. Good Lord almighty. Like maybe they, maybe they don't know how to develop relievers. That, that to me is the, the greatest inefficiency in baseball these days. I just feel like the relief formula should be cracked by now. I feel like mm-hmm. we ought to know how to develop a good relief pitcher and develop a bullpen full of them, considering how important relief pitching is in the era of the five or six inning start. Mm-hmm. So is Rizzo is just going to keep picking up Coke bottles, or do you think that <laughs> he will actually make some significant moves over the next few weeks? I just wonder what significant moves there are to be made. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you have as many, this is where it hurts when you have as many teams potentially in it as you do, because it's not just that they're hoarding their own closers in their own, you know, eighth inning or, or high leverage relievers, however you want to put it. It's that those teams may see re- the relief market as a potential place for them to upgrade because every team does look, your seventh reliever is probably an up and down type guy. Like if you have a deep enough bullpen where your seventh reliever is good, then you're in excellent shape and there may be one or two of 30 teams out there that have that situation but when you look at the the closers right now that are available i'm sorry there's just there aren't any substantive guys who are out there right now do you do you really feel good trading for jim johnson is he the guy who's going to be your solution i mean is 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 brandon mauer uh, or well, let's just look at brad hand brad mm-hmm. hand got dfa by the marlins a year and a half ago. And and don't get me wrong, that was not that was not a good move by them by any means. But are we really taking a season and a half of Brad Hand and pretending like this is this is some sort of Andrew Miller type reliever? I know he's got a really good slider and I know he strikes a lot of dudes out and that he pitches a lot of innings, which is great for a lefty and that his his splits righty lefty are not significantly enough different that uh, you can't use him uh, in high leverage situations against right-handers. But come on, let's not pretend like Brad Hand is going to be the difference maker here between a championship team and one that doesn't win one. That's the conundrum that Mike Rizzo faces right now. It's not that he's not willing to go out and trade a a Victor Robles or an Eric Fetty or a Juan Soto type to go and get a relief pitcher. It's that there just aren't any great ones out there for him to go get. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone we haven't mentioned? We've talked about Quintana. We've talked about Sonny Gray, Justin Verlander. Are there any other big names out there we should mention? We mentioned Jason Vargas, who is not a big name, but somehow yeah. keeps uh, putting himself in this conversation. And I was going to say, Jason, Jason, Jason Vargas might actually have a case to start. Uh, Chris Sale is going to be the starter, but Jason Vargas uh, could at least put forth an argument to start the American League All Star uh, for the American <laughs> League All Star team. I'm serious. Yeah. He's he's had yeah. he's had an incredibly effective year so far. He has been really good. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Garrett Cole to me is probably the the big wild card. Mm-hmm. The Pirates are just sort of hanging around there. They're going to get Starling Marte back soon, and that's going to help. They're they're only four games back of the uh, of the Brewers right now, and when you're that close, boy, it's tough to sell, and it's tough to sell on a guy who's as talented as Garrett Cole. But he's got the Quintana problem. Uh, he's not pitching very well this year, and the the Pirates are a team that tend not to sell too terribly low on guys. I know they did sell low on Francisco Liriano, but they understand value and they understand that Garrett Cole is a guy who has a couple more years before he hits free agency is an eminently valuable piece. And they're going to want a ton back in return for him. And I just don't know that the market's going to bear that at this point. It may be more of an off season move for them. And uh, a, a big question too, is if Cole goes, does Andrew McCutcheon go as well? Uh, mm-hmm. And and if Andrew, if they are putting Andrew McCutcheon out there, is there really going to be much of a market for him? Uh, yeah. he, he certainly has been hitting better. Uh, the power has come back. Uh, and between him and, and Josh Harrison, they've been carrying this team. But, man, it's, it's a tough, tough thing to trade a franchise icon 
And that's exactly what McCutcheon is. Mm -hmm. Are there any other notable bets available? Boy, there's not a ton at this point. J.D. Martinez, we haven't talked about him Mm -hmm. a lot. He's a a pretty incredible story, actually, uh, what he has turned himself into. He's going to get a lot of money. I mean, we're talking, I think, $150 plus this offseason for J.D. Martinez. He's been really good. And the big question is, what is the market going to look like for him? You look at a team like St. Louis that's on the on the periphery of playoff talk right now. They could they could really use a bat like his, but I don't know if they're in position at this point to go trade for one. You wonder if a team like the Dodgers, uh, after after losing Andrew Tolles, might be interested in him. But if Adrian Gonzalez comes back and Cody Bellinger gets pushed to the outfield, Puig is playing well enough that you're probably not going to do that. You know, a team like the Rockies, that the Rockies to me are really interesting because we always assume if you have a good Colorado Rockies team, it's because they swing the bats well. And I know they've, they've put up a, a solid number of runs this year, but I'm sorry, their offense is not that good. It's just not. Mark Reynolds mm-hmm. has been great. Nolan Arenado is always great. Charlie Blackman's been great. You look up and down at the rest of that offense. Uh, even a guy like Gerardo Parra has been about league average when you when you adjust the cores factor. Carlos Gonzalez has been mm-hmm. awful. Trevor Story has been mediocre. There's yeah. not a lot of thunder in that lineup right now. Uh, you know, Ian Desmond has not been a seventy million dollar type player. They need an offensive upgrade, and and I just wonder if if the Rockies are looking. At their pitching and saying we are in line for a regression, not just because we have a bunch of rookies out there who have only played up to September 1st before, but because we have a bunch of rookies who are pitching in the most difficult place to pitch, where a six-month season feels like seven months already, and these guys are going to tire out. I, I am as as bearish as possible on the Rockies right now. And I think ultimately the Dodgers and Diamondbacks are going to separate themselves and the Rockies are going to fall back enough where that second wild card spot could be in play for a team like the Brewers or the Cardinals uh, or, or even the Pirates. Mm-hmm. So one of the teams that's in a position of being far enough out of the race and also having something worthwhile to sell is the Marlins. And with their ownership situation, it's been weird, uh, you know, trying to tamp down who they're willing to to get rid of and on what time frame. So what do you know about a potential league-wide raid on the Marlins? This would, I guess, be like the fifth or sixth in the past 20 years. Yes. I think all of this gets back to Jeffrey Loria and what he's going to do. And you know, I don't know if this is going to come to fruition, but I, I look at the Marlins finances and I, I reported this a few months back. The Marlins finances are an absolute disaster. Like they're losing money on parking garages. Like nobody in sports loses money on parking garages. It is the easy, it is the easiest money there is. And the Marlins are drawing so few fans to their acid trip downtown that they just aren't making any money at this point. And so I wonder if Jeffrey Loria is going to look at Christian Yelich's contract and if he's going to look at D Gordon's contract. There's no way John Carlos Stanton's not going anywhere because they will not eat money and, and they could not move that deal if they tried. But I do wonder if they're going to look at dealing Yelich and if they're, if they're going to be able to find some sort of a buyer for Gordon. And if you do that, then you deal Ozuna and you at least float Justin Bohr out there. And I think the one guy who may stick around otherwise is JT Real Muto, just because uh, internally they feel like he is the franchise there. They feel like he's the leader of that team going forward, more than Stanton, more than Yelich, more than anyone, that Real Muto is the guy. And I think there, a league-wide raid is a, a good way to put it because if he goes on the market, I think Ozuna – joins J.D. Martinez as the hot guy and the one who's going to bring back the most this deadline. I just don't know if Laurie is going to be willing to pull the trigger on time because he has been very disengaged from this entire process. And it's dragging on a lot longer than I think anybody uh, in the Marlins front office who's making baseball operations decisions would have liked. But it's the reality when you have a dysfunctional, dysfunctional, narcissistic, childish owner. And that's exactly what they've got, and hopefully not for much longer. 
All right, so I think we have at least name-checked almost every team. Apologies if we have ignored your team. It doesn't mean that we hate them. It just means, it just they're, means they're so <laughs> bad, they're not going to factor into the trade. <laughs> <laughs> they're just too many Actually, baseball it, teams. <laughs> I, it's funny that we didn't talk about the Dodgers at all. Yeah, you're right. Because I think, because I think, the, Dodgers are, I think the Dodgers are in the single best position of anybody right now in terms of quality of major league team and depth of the minor leagues the, them and the mm-hmm. Astros are, are about equivalent in both regards. And uh, the Dodgers can make really big moves if they want to and, and not suffer from it because they have such depth in the minor leagues, or they can bring up Alex Verdugo who's hitting 340 as a 21 year old in triple a right. or Willie Calhoun. Who's, who's slugging 550 in the middle infield or Walker Bueller. Who's going to be hitting a hundred out of the bullpen or, or a guy. I, I mean, Wilmer font to me is a, like that is a Ben Lindbergh, Michael Bowman story right there. Like the, the, the ascendance of Wilmer font, just a, a minor league free agent who's now struck out like 120 in 80 innings at AAA. And of course the Dodgers have him because why would a, another team that needs him actually get him? The, it's baseball, man. The rich just get richer. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if there's anyone else we haven't at least said the name of, of the Rays, the uh, the Rangers, the Cardinals, the Mets. Did there, we mention I think, the, I think the Yankees and every... Red Sox? We did. Okay. Uh, yeah, we've we've said every team name now, so everyone should be happy and content. So I just wanted to wrap up with a forward-looking question. You've written a ton about the 2018 to 19 free agent class, and I'm wondering how you think that will start to affect the market and when it will start to affect the market. If it hasn't already, will we be seeing a lot of trades in preparation for that? say this off season or at next year's deadline? How do you see that shaping up? I think that the New York Yankees austerity plan is, is a direct is directly tied to the 2018, 19 free agent class. So I think <laughs> it has been affecting baseball for two years now. And they, listen, they think that far ahead, not just them, every team, you, then you know what it's like. You you've seen these teams that have, five-year plans and that try to forecast the market. And I think they understood what this means. It is, it, it, to me, it is going to be the most significant thing to happen in baseball in a decade, probably longer, and that the reper, repercussions and reverberations uh, are going to last for another decade past that. And I, I'm not trying to hyperbolize here. I really do just think that there's going to be a fundamental change in baseball economics that results from this. And that you, the, the reason you see teams scrambling to lock up players as much as they can right now uh, is because salaries are going to change after that. And the reason that you see fewer guys, honestly, signing long-term deals is because they know their deals are going to look antiquated after Bryce Harper gets what he gets after Manny Machado gets what he gets, after Clayton Kershaw gets what he gets. And I understand that there is this idea in baseball that there's a different market for superstars. And in some regards, there is, and that superstar contracts don't have the the same sort of trickle down. And and we've seen that because baseball's middle class is is like the American uh, worker is, is dying. I mean, it just is. You're seeing cheap guys and you're seeing expensive guys, and there's not a whole lot of in between. But when when this free agent class hits and when the money is being spent and when the have-nots are, are trying to compete with the haves, it's going to have a, a fundamental effect on the game that I think is unlike anything we've seen from a single particular free agent class in the past. Mm-hmm. What's Harper going to make? What's the total value of his contract, do you think? Is $500 million out of the no, question? No, I don't think, I, I, I don't think he's going to get 500 I, I think the over-under is 400, and I think he gets over. Hmm. And lastly, you've also been on the Shohei Otani beat. What is the latest on his ETA? <laughs> I really wish I knew. Like, I, wish, <laughs> uh, I, I wish I understood better the person that we're dealing with here. And I think a lot gets lost in translation. I think a lot, frankly, gets lost, not just in translation, but in the 
in the way that people in Japan are raised and taught to act and, and the humility that comes there and the fact that they never want to be seen as being about money because of the, the disrespect. There, it is a very parochial and elder-based culture in Japan. And I spent a lot of time there uh, during the arm and I, I was with a doctor who is one of the foremost uh, arm doctors in, in Japan. And he felt like he never got any respect because he, he wasn't 50 years old. He said, once I hit 50 years old, I'm going to be able to talk and say what I really think. Uh, Shohei Otani has not said what he really thinks. And he says, it's not about money to me. And I really hope that's true. I really deeply hope that's true. Cause that means he'll be in major league baseball in 2018. I just have difficulty in believing that somebody is going to leave hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. And, and I'm curious to see if he does come over this year, just how strict major league baseball is when it comes to keeping him from signing a contract after the first year, which is obviously what every other team is going to want to do. They're going to bring him over for a year cheap. And then they're going to say, uh, you're awesome. Here's $200 million. But the, the market in the past, just hasn't been there for a $200 million deal. And I wonder if baseball would lash back against that and prevent something like that from happening. So one last one for me. Um, I know you're probably sitting on years and years of mind-blowing, unconsummated trade rumors. And I was wondering if you had a, a good one that you're willing to share with uh, with us and with the audience, or if, you know, if enough time has passed, you can let out a couple secrets. Oh, man. I mean, I don't think this is totally secret anymore because I have written about it, but you know the Yankees Braves one, right? Oh, it's the the one with Judge and like 14 <laughs> yeah. other, yeah. Judge, Sanchez, I know Ian Clarkin was in there, Severino, Banuelos, and one other guy. And they would have gotten back like a year of Jason Hayward, Andrelton Simmons, BJ Upton, <laughs> And David Carpenter. And I believe they ended up making like a David Carpenter for Manny Benuelos trade <laughs> after that. Mm -hmm. So they got at least like a part of it done. Yeah, uh, the boring that, part. Yeah, exactly. But that to me is, oh my, like, think about that. Think about the Yankees right now without Aaron Judge, without Gary Sanchez, without Luis Severino. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, they are a sub 500 team that is, considering firing Brian Cashman, but his job is saved only because Aaron Hicks has been really good this year. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the, just the, the, the staggering effect that that would have had is unbelievable to me. And uh, that, you know what, that's a really, that's a really good question that I have to think more about. And next time I come on, uh, I will have uh, a, a bunch of trades that uh, should have happened, but didn't. Cool. All right. Well, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. You just mentioned The Arm. If anyone listening has not already read The Arm, Jeff's book from last year, it is out in paperback now, and you can and should pick it up. You should also read Jeff at Yahoo Sports. You can find him on Twitter at Jeff Passan. And Jeff, good luck on your future train rides. Thank you, boys. Always fun being on with you. I appreciate it. All right. So we will wrap it there. Enjoy the rest of your time off this week if you have any. Michael, thanks for USA, working on a long weekend. USA! USA! <laughs> we'll be back on Thursday. Things change, the weather changes, your mood definitely changes, the baseball trade market changes. So why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Tonight, you don't have to, because you'll get incredible deals on awesome hotels even at the last minute. Booking on Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear, while knowing that you'll score a great price and a great place to stay. So download the Hotel Tonight app to find seriously amazing deals now.